0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Go time. It's hard to believe we're here right now, but you can put that slide up kind of recapping the whole series. I remember it didn't seem that long ago. We were just in week one. And what we're learning here is we follow Christ. If I'm a true follower of Christ, I must abide. No exceptions. You can't follow Christ if you don't abide in the Father. I must connect. No exceptions. If you're truly saved in Jesus Christ, you are saved into his church. You can't follow the head without belonging to the body. If I'm a follower of Christ, I must share. I must share. I have to share the message that's been entrusted to me. I have to seek to make disciples through my life. I have to be used and want to be used to see the multiplication within the church, within believers, but also outside the church, and to share the message with those who are lost, that are dead apart from Jesus Christ. I understand as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's one of two options in eternity. There's heaven and there's hell. And I desire as a follower of Jesus Christ, then that I would shine my light and be the salt of the earth, that more people would know the message that I have received, that has changed my life as a follower of him, that that I share that then with as many people as possible the time that I have. This then is go time. And one thing I want you to see, we'll go to the next slide here, And this is just a way to show this. There's many different ways we could do this, but I want you to see, loved ones, really everything is kind of leading to this day today. In some way, this whole series arrives in week number eight. because I want you to see here, God time, without God time, there's nothing else, and we've learned that, but God time you can see is the roots of the tree. And from God's time, we go to gather time, and that would be the, the trunk as we, the body of Christ comes together and supports itself, and the trunk and then the main branches in that tree as well within group time, and as the body, we strengthen and encourage one another, and that's where we, uh, God has designed us to be there for one another. So you have the roots and the trunk and then the main branches, but then we go into the share component, And the shared component is the extended branches then in give time. Here we start to see the the fruit of our God and gather in group time. And then ultimately what happens is, is go time then is the abundant fruit that is seen from the branch, from the main branch, from the trunk and the roots. So in many ways, all of this now is coming to this point right here. Because if we're truly following Christ... We must see the fruit and the fruit of us sharing the message of the Lord Jesus and sharing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we're learning today and throughout this series too is one of the greatest forms of evangelism is the love of Christ in grace and in truth to a lost and dying world. Another way to put it is this. I am so thankful for this room. All that's represented in this room over the services we have This weekend, but listen, this room can't stay in this room. This room must go. You hear what I'm saying? This room is called to go from here to witness for Jesus Christ, to regather here, and then go out again. Loved ones, we must go. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And he ends with this, And behold, I am with you always. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The context, of course, from Matthew 28 in these verses, Jesus had died. Jesus died to pay for our sins. But then Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus rose from the dead. As Jesus rose from the dead, he proved that his death was accepted by the Father, and he thereby had defeated death. He was the first fruits of the resurrected body. He is raised from the dead and he comes to his disciples here. He's about to ascend back to heaven to be reunited with Father and in the form of the Trinity as it can be trying to understand that within your own head and mind. But just before he ascends into heaven, he gathers his disciples and he kind of huddles them up, so to speak. And he's like, okay, come on. It's time for the game plan. I'm about to go to my father, but here's the plan. And his plan, essentially in one word to his disciples, is go. In three words, go make disciples. Jesus goes, but Jesus does not leave his disciples empty-handed. He provides them with the power and continual presence of his Holy Spirit. This is our context right here. Lovings, go is a big deal to Jesus. Go make disciples is everything to Jesus, it must be everything to us. This leads us to our first point then from our text, which is this. Ready? Uh, Go time is not an option, loved ones. Uh, Go time is not optional. Go time is not an option. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's why I believe the most important word in this passage and for our context today is found in that word, go. We are commanded loved ones. We are called to go, and that's why then, because it's a command, go time is not an option. Think about it. The true follower of Christ is the salt of the earth, is the light of the world, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we must renew our minds Every day, to understand this, within us, if we are truly saved in Jesus Christ, within us, we carry the message of Jesus Christ. In Acts 26, it is described this way, the message we have is to open their eyes of the lost, that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of their sins, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, Acts 26, verse 18. That's a very, very important message. That's the message, the only message that can deliver people from eternal death and transfer them into the power of God for eternal life. The message that proclaims the forgiveness of sins and a place among me, Jesus says, by faith, a place with Him in His kingdom a place with him and his family and the church of Jesus Christ. As a stone in the building of God, we carry the message of the gospel. And we are servants of this message and witnesses to this message. I mean, just let this sink in. This is what we have been sent with. There's no message on this earth more powerful there's no message on this earth more transformational. There's no message on this earth more eternal with good and light. So we are called to go. We have been commissioned by Jesus himself to go. Help us, Lord. Amen, church. Help us, Lord. You know in John 14 Jesus said this to his disciples. He says that if whoever believes in me greater works than these will they do. He says, greater works than these will you do because I'm going to the Father. Why would would Jesus say that? What did he mean by that? How can we do greater works than Jesus Christ? Well, it's not that we're greater in power, greater miracles, but Jesus explaining in John 14. He says, I'm going to my Father. When I go to my Father, I give to you my Holy Spirit. So greater works than Jesus says we will do, because every person saved in Jesus Christ has the power of the Holy Spirit within them, and then the breadth and the, and the wideness of this ministry will be so much greater than anything we saw when Jesus was on earth. And of course, when, when Peter preaches the first sermon in Acts and 3,000 people get saved, that never happened when Jesus was there. But Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit and we have the opportunity when Christ goes to heaven, we have the Holy Spirit and now we can see greater works than even he did in terms of the breadth and magnitude and wideness of this ministry. That is, that is incredible. And of course, isn't that so true? Here we are 2,000 years later in a country called Canada that was formed not too long ago. Could the disciples even have imagined the fruit of what they'd be a part of, can we imagine the fruit that we could be a part of? You know, one of the dangerous trends that has crept into the church for the past couple of decades, though, has been the professionalization of ministry. There's a mindset out there that those who go are few. Those who go are few. Or the proclamation of the gospels for pastors. Guys like that. We would look at Acts 26, verse 18, that verse we just read, and we would surmise, well, that was Paul's commission. Paul's commission. We would hear Matthew 28, verse 19, and we would rationalize, well, that was the disciples' commission. And if it was beyond the disciples, then it's for clergy or pastors or elders or people who are fired up for forms of evangelism. But what needs to be truly understood, loved ones, all of this, all of what we're hearing, all of the passage before us today, all of Acts 26, verse 18, all of this is our commission It's our commission, our commission, and Jesus Christ. See, go time is our time. Go time is our time. Let's just flush this out a little more, consider in detail. Why is it that so few of us really go with the gospel? What are the common factors that limit believers from going with the gospel? I wrote down four reasons They all happen to start with I. That's just the way it works, all right? And the first one is this, ignorance. People are ignorant. Believers are ignorant. I'm called with the gospel? I'm supposed to do something with the gospel? Yes. But the passage we heard today, the, the passage we read from Second Corinthians 5, so beautiful, we are called to be reconcilers and, and ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ, the ministry of reconciliation. So, whoa, 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 whoa. That was fast. Let's go back a little bit. There we go. All right. Go back at one again. Right now, go back at one again. Ignorance, there we go. Listen, go time is our time. So the ignorance today is um, blowing up. It's blowing up. Okay, we understand today, go time is all of our time. All of us responsible for go time within our lives. So ignorance can be no longer Unless you're totally sleeping through the entire message. But someone will wake you up and tell them the good news, okay? listen. This one here, this one here. Insecurity. So we don't go because we're insecure. Um, frankly, what happens in our day is that we fear man more than we fear God. And because we want to be liked, because we don't want to be rejected, uh, because we're so fearful of man, we fail to speak because we value the estimation of man more than we value the command and the responsibility before our God. We must be very careful with this. We must understand we pray ourselves into a position that God would give us boldness, that we would understand what's at stake. So we can't fear man in lacking the fear of God. Ignorance, insecurity, here's the third one. Um, indifference. Uh, this can be a huge problem within believers within the church. Indifference is the reason we don't go is because frankly, I just don't love God enough. And because I don't love God enough, I don't love fellow man enough. Love God, love others. If we don't love man enough to share with them, just like, well, you know, I just don't. I mean, this is an important time right now to look at our hearts right now. And I look at my heart, trust me, all week long, man. And the burden's on me. Do I love the lost? Do I have a heart for those who are on their way to death forever? Do I care enough? And in some form, my love for men will be related to my love for God. Because if I love the Lord so much, He's quickly going to give me His love for the lost as well. Why don't we go in difference? And here's the, the fourth eye. Well, it's inconvenient. Inconvenience. I don't go because, honestly, I just love myself too much. I just want to do what I want to do. I don't have time for anyone else because I'm too busy with my own life and to take time to go with the message that would save people from hell and proclaim Jesus Christ, well, I just don't have time for that. I want conviction right now, because God uses that. And I want conviction, though, in Jesus' name, to be led to a desire, to humble ourselves before him, to say, Lord, this isn't right, but you have a plan of grace for me, that I can be more fruitful for you. By Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice when Jesus gives the Great Commission, notice it doesn't come with exception clauses. Notice it's not, hey, disciples, go, but until you're too busy, or go unless you don't feel prepared, go uh, unless you don't know enough. No, no, it's, it's go. It's go and make disciples. And just remember to mean what the disciples must have been thinking as Jesus says this to them in that place and at that time. They, their heads just must have been spinning of what this meant. They were a bunch of nobodies that would be used to turn the world upside down, as it says in Acts, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So one of the things we're learning right now, this is one of the things that I'm so burdened for. In fact, one of the instigators and reasons for this entire series is like right here, right now. That as a church, at least, at least for me, and I pray for you too, That go time, as much as ever, would be something that becomes not just, that's a good thing, or I hope this happens, but go time would be the outworking of the Lord in our lives that becomes a lifestyle we live, Um, the mindset we carry. Uh, We're always thinking about how can I share the message of Jesus Christ. I'm viewing people at work and on my kids' sports teams and in my neighborhood, and the lens is always, they don't know Christ. They're not, they're not alive. That's a problem. I just want so much that every day we wake up and I know we're weak and I know we're afraid and I know we're not sure at times and don't know how and I feel all the same things. I do. And yet the prayer for the burden to be greater to say they're dying. And I have the message of Christ within me. God, give me opportunities to share the message of love and life. God, grant me the boldness to speak of your name because so soon you will return and then all is over and there are no second chances. And we are called to the ministry of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ, we are called to go. God, help us to go. Help us to have a mindset every day we live. Please understand, too, this isn't just overseas. That's awesome. This isn't just some national ministry. That's awesome. This is every day where we are, every single day, sowing seeds for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the power of the 5G life it's the calling to follow Christ. Listen, in this context, you can't follow Christ standing still, it doesn't work standing still. Not in this context today. We must get active for the Lord Jesus Christ. Go means you go somewhere. Go means we do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I take the time to say this and I'll say it again and again and again. What is the ultimate fuel of go time? It's love. It's love. It's love for the Lord and it's love for others that the Lord gives us. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says on the love of others. By the way, I'm going to be reading some quotes and some stories a little more than normal today, but I'm praying that will be a great encouragement for us in some way or another, and I feel the Lord has led me to do that. Spurgeon says this. We must have also intense love to the souls of men. If you are to influence them for good, nothing can compensate for the absence of this love for the souls of men. Soul winning must be your passion. You must be born to it. It must be the very breath of your nostrils, the only thing for which you count life worth the having. Love is the root of our going. Remember in John chapter 1 when Jesus speaks to Peter and Jesus, of course, Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus then faces Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I love you, I love you. He says again, do you love me? Jesus, you know, he says a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter at that point is grieved because he's discouraged and upset with this third question. And Peter says, Jesus, you know, I love you. And the answer that Jesus gives to Peter every time is, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Notice, Peter's love for Jesus is proven by Peter's love for God's people. You say, well, that's us. Well, there's more. It's here and out there that Jesus Christ is building his church, and every person that gets saved is one of Jesus' sheep. And we are called to love them. We are called to love them. Love is such a huge deal. C.I. Schofield, he was the editor of the very famous reference Bible named after him, the Schofield Reference Bible, He used to tell of his resentment that every time he met with D.L. Moody, the noted American evangelist, and Moody had such a passion for souls. Schofield would pray, or Moody would pray, that Schofield's commission might be renewed. He would pray that Schofield would be renewed in his commission for the gospel, and Schofield did not care for the implications of that prayer. He didn't like when Moody prayed that prayer. It kind of bugged him. But later, Schofield came to see that clear sighted Moody has discerned, had discerned his Achilles heel. And Moody saw that Schofield's intense preoccupation with the intellectual side of the Christian faith, he was in danger of losing his zeal for God and his love for fellow men. And therefore, Moody repeatedly petitioned for his friend that he might be renewed in his commission for the glory of God through the love of men, through the salvation of the lost. Love matters so much to the Lord Jesus Christ. And love is to be seen in our lives for those who are lost. The greatest of these loved ones is love. The whole 5G life is about love, love for God and love for others. One more quote from Spurgeon I couldn't resist. Check this out. If sinners, this is so good. If sinners be damned at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish let them perish with their arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. First thought. Forgive us, Lord. Second thought, help us, Lord, to have such love that this is how we operate. Third thought, God, would you give us the power in the Holy Spirit to do so? Let me just say that at times I have grabbed people around the legs, pleading with them to know Jesus Christ, and they have kicked me to the ground, stepped over me, and walked on. I will confess that can be greatly discouraging and you're like, it's not working, it's not working, and at times then I'm discouraged and tempted to give up altogether. Why bother? Why bother? We're not the ones who decide who gets in. God is. We are the ones called with the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so often the reason we don't do this is because we don't want to be rejected, but in the end of the day, we're not being rejected. Jesus Christ is. May this be true. May this be seen in our lives, in this church, in a way that's never been seen before. How beautiful, how powerful that would be. Not unnecessarily annoying. Not trying to be that Christian fanatic. Operating in love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would be so burdened to share this message with others. So at this point of the message, of all that we've said so far, if your theology is wrong you probably have a conviction that has made you discouraged. If your theology is wrong, you're convicted, but you're like, I stink, I stink. But if your theology is right, you have a conviction that is producing in you now a Holy Spirit, not discouragement, determination. There's a big difference between those two Condemnation says you stink, you can't do it. The Holy Spirit says, be convicted, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, why he came, John 16. But now there's a God-given Holy Spirit determination to be used for him. Here's what we understand by God's Spirit that go time is not an option. Leads us to point number two. Very, very important point number two. So go time is not an option. However. We are commanded to go in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are commanded to go in his power. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, in verse 19, Jesus says, go therefore. Now, that word therefore is critically important. Can you see why? Because whatever is about to be said next, which happens to be the Great Commission, is predicated upon what therefore is therefore. He's going to give the Great Commission, but he says, go therefore. So again, whatever therefore is therefore, we have to know. And so this takes us back to verse 18. Verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, wait a second. That is not a small statement. In fact, that just changes Everything, just consider that truth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. No wonder we follow him. Amen? Amen? I mean, in life, it's just when it comes down to it, I'm with him. Who? Jesus. Why? He's awesome. No one can stop him. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I'm with him. I'm with him, man. It's the whole Christian life. I'm with him. He returns with him. I'm with him. I'm with him. Look at him, riding on the clouds, coming on the horse, the sovereign ruler of the entire universe. I'm with him. Why? Because all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, Jesus says. Let's just remind ourselves as the authority of Jesus Christ when he was here on this earth, okay? Let's, let's remind ourselves. Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. Only God can do that. Jesus taught with astonishing authority. The people were astonished, Unlike the scribes with his teaching, he had the authority to rebuke the devil, authority over unclean spirits, casting them out left, right, and center, begging him, begging him to let them go in a particular place. He had authority over forces of nature. He healed diseases at a whim. He turned water into wine. He calmed storms multiple occasions. Favorite stories in Scripture. Peace be still. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Glory, glory. Next one. He the authority over life and death. It's a bit of a big one, isn't it? Raising people from the dead, Lazarus and others. Ruled over his own death and resurrection. He says, I give my life and I have the authority to take it up again. Who does that? Who can do that? Full authority over final judgment. The Father has given Jesus Christ the full and final authority. He will judge the living and the dead. He has the authority, therefore, over all flesh to grant eternal life. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I couldn't resist. I just had to put bam in there. Bam! (laughs) Right? Amen. Amen. Loved ones, this, this is our Savior, this is, this is our Lord. This is the one who gives us the great commission. Not some guy comes up and says, hey man, good luck with it. I hope it works out for you. Let me know how it goes. No, no. He says, I have authority over heaven and earth. John Piper says this, therefore everyone and everything is subordinate to Jesus. Everyone, everything, every human, every angel, every demon, the devil himself, and all the natural world and all that happens in it. All of it is under the authority of Jesus Christ. And this is the one who has commissioned us. Jesus Christ, holding the authority of the entire universe, says, Go therefore and make disciples. You see, so often we forget that within the great commission, we forget what surrounds it. Jesus. Jesus and his authority. And it's this truth that leads us to believe and to see then Within the call to go, loved ones, we are not relying on our power, because that would be tremendously discouraging. We are relying on His power that is delighting to us. This is when, again, we understand before we share, loved ones, we must abide because there is no go time if there's not God time, because when we are filled with the Lord, we start to see as He sees and live as He lives, and then we get to be filled and access His power. And we understand again that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And we literally are used to do things that are truly supernatural and unexplainable in human terms. Because that's what the Lord does. When Jesus Christ decides to work, nothing will stop him. We are called to go. Because when Jesus again decides to do something, lives are being changed. Recently, I've been reading this book on, had a portion of it, had some history of revival. And what I want to do is I want to read this for you to encourage you as I have been greatly encouraged because the history I'm about to read to you didn't happen that long ago. Listen to some of these things. Samuel Davies, uh, he was known as the Apostle of Virginia and he became the president of Princeton University and he recounted the following in 1747. He says this, about 16 years ago in the northern colonies, when all religious concern was much out of fashion, and the people generally lay in dead sleep in sin. Now, one of the things we do in our day, we're like, well, the world's so bad now, and darkness is so great, and we often, we think like we go back 200 years, and everyone was saved, and people being baptized, they didn't sin ever, and all they did was go on singing hymns and reading their Bibles all the time, and we kind of forget that, no, 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 they had problems too and they had apathy too, and they had wickedness and evil too. That's what Samuel Davies is writing in the midst of. So people laying dead sleep in sin, he says, having at best the form of godliness, but nothing of the power. When the country was in peace and prosperity, free from the calamities of war and epidemical sickness, when in short there was no extraordinary calls to repentance, suddenly a deep general concern about eternal things spread throughout the country. Sinners started crying out from their slumbers, broke off from their vices, and cried out, what shall we do to be saved? And made it the great business of their life to prepare for the world to come. Then the gospel seemed almighty, David wrote, and carried all before it. It pierced the very hearts of men with an irresistible power. He says, I have seen thousands at once melted down under the gospel, all eager to hear as for life, and hardly a dry eye had been seen among them. When Jesus decides to work, nothing will stop him. J. Edwin Orr, he's one of the great American revival historians. He recounted in the First Great Awakening, listen to this, in the First Great Awakening, 50,000 came to Christ in New England out of a population of 340,000. That's 15% were saved. During the Second Great Awakening, conservative estimates record that the Methodist denomination grew by 1,400%, while the American population was growing only at 200%. In three counties in Virginia, over a three-month span, 3,200 people were converted. During the prayer revival of 1857-1858, there were a reported 50,000 coming to Christ weekly. The Holy Trinity Church in Chicago had 157 members in 1857 before the awakening and 1,400 members in 1858. In New York City alone, during the height of the movement, 10,000 people were coming to Christ every single week. Listen to this. Out of a population of 30 million Americans, one million came to faith in Jesus Christ. In the Welsh Revival... 100,000 people were glorious converted in nine months. So what the author of this does, he says this. He says, in the American context, he says, we now have an estimated population of 320 million in America. If God were to manifest himself in the same way as he did in the 1857-58 revival, he says we would see over 10 million people come to Christ in two years. This would be 95,000 new believers every week over 24 months. Loved ones, that happened about 150 years ago. That's not that long ago. That can happen again. If you put that in proportion of Canada, that would be over 1 million people in our nation being saved in Jesus Christ through an awakening of only God can do through the power of his gospel as his church is called to go and pray. That would change our nation, literally. Literally. Jesus Christ has called us to go. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Let's do some um, kind of present day information. Did you know that right now, I'm so encouraged by this stuff recently, did you know it's reported that there are more now, more Christians now in China than there are in the communist party in China? Um, here's a story from the Iranian church. I got this from the Gospel Coalition website says this, the Iranian revolution of 1979 established a hardline uh, Islamic regime. Over the next two decades, Christians faced increasing um, opposition and persecution. All missionaries were kicked out. Evangelism was outlawed. Bibles in Persian were banned and soon became scarce. And several pastors were killed. The church came under tremendous pressure. Many feared the small Iranian church would soon wither away and die. All hope is lost, right? Wrong. But the exact opposite happened. Despite continued hostility from the late 1970s until now, Iranians have become the Muslim people most open to the gospel in the Middle East. How did this happen? Two factors have contributed to this openness. First, violence in the name of Islam has caused widespread disillusionment with the regime and led many Iranians to question their beliefs. Second, many Iranian Christians have continued to boldly and faithfully tell others about Christ in the face of persecution. As a result, more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years, listen, listen, and in the previous 13 centuries put together since Islam came to Iran. That's awesome. In 1979, there were an estimated 500 Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. Today, there are hundreds of thousands, some estimating more than a million Whatever the exact number, many Iranians are turning to Jesus as Lord and Savior. What's the moral of the story? Here it is. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. When the culture is falling apart and the days are abundantly evil, I believe we have one of two choices. We can choose to sulk in the darkness... Or we can choose to be sent into the darkness and be shining lights for Jesus Christ. Now here's what we know. As we are called to go in Jesus Christ, we know the rejection for Christ is real. But we have to know this, that the dejection of our world is more real. There are so many people out there that are literally dying to hear the message of hope found in Jesus Christ. And that's what we are called to give. Those are the people that we are called to go to regardless if we become to them the aroma of life or the aroma of death. God decides that. But we are to be the aroma of Christ to God. We are called to go. And what do we know as proven in the story of Iran? The darker the world gets, the brighter Christ shines. We are to go and we are to go in his power. But it doesn't end there. Point number three. We are to go in his presence. We are to go with his presence. Look at verse 20. Jesus says, Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Notice this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. And so now we have what I call this, well, it wasn't my original thought, but it's the bookends of the Great Commission. I want you to see here, just illustrate right here. I want you to know this, Okay. So in the Great Commission, we usually focus on this or whatever, but we have to remember that the bookends of the Great Commission, his power on one side, his presence on the other, and these two promises of the Lord Jesus Christ, they change everything about this. Are we aware of his power? Are we going in his presence? Because that's the whole thing is surrounded by the bookends of the promises that Jesus Christ makes of how we are called to go and who we are called to go with and in. Jesus says, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That promise alone has spurred on more go time than you can imagine, maybe than any other promise in scripture. How many missionaries have clung to that promise? Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And why is this truth so beautiful? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? because we have the power of Christ, we have the presence of Christ in many ways. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? God, forgive us. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. With you always, end of the age, and that includes, of course, right now. Right now, this year, all in the context of the Great Commission. It's the promise of go time in the presence of Christ. What does this promise presence mean? It means that we find protection it means that we find His power. It means that we have His, his peace. The moment He promises His presence, really there's, there's nothing to fear anymore because He holds all authority and then He is with us. An incredible missionary, John Payton, spoke about this verse, this phrase, Behold, I'm with you always. He, he was a, minister, uh, a missionary to cannibals. Incredibly inspiring story. I'm st- strongly encourage you to look him up, read him. He said this, Without that abiding consciousness of the presence and power of my dear Lord and Savior, nothing else in all the world could have preserved me from losing my reason and perishing miserably. In God's word, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, became so real to me that it would not have startled me to behold him, as Stephen did, gazing down upon the scene. I felt his supporting power. It is the sober truth and comes back to me sweetly after 20 years that I had my nearest and dearest glimpses of the face and smiles of my blessed Lord in those dread moments when musket, club, or spear was being leveled at my life. And he says this as only one who's lived through it could. Oh, the bliss of living and enduring and seeing him who is invisible. I am with you always, even... To the end of the age, loved ones, we are commanded to go. To go to our families, to go to our neighbors, to go to our communities, to go to our workplaces, to go to our nation, to go to our world. And we have Jesus' command and his promises with us. Remember, go time is not isolated to a short-term mission strip. Go time is a way of life for the follower of Jesus Christ. We must see ourselves as missionaries. Every single one of us is a form of a missionary i have got to redefine that in some ways. I'm called to where I am. I'm on, on mission. I'm on mission. This is the church. Every single one is saved in Christ. We have a mission of our lives. We are on mission for Jesus Christ. Who is in your life that God has put there by his sovereignty that you might share, that I might share the message, the message of life, the message of hope, the message of love? Will there be a cost to this? Yes, 100%. That's the whole point, though. Will there be joy in this? 100%. And will there be reward from this? 100%. But if I'm truly to follow Christ, I must share. I must go. You know, we ask, Lord, would you, Spirit of God, would you begin a fresh work of love and boldness and courage and faith and mission in this church now? Would you... Holy Spirit of God, ignite in our hearts in a new way, a boldness for love and evangelism and mission and and light in a way that we've never seen. Spirit of God, would you do that? You know, as we conclude the 5G life today, I just want to summarize for all those who call Harvest Oakville their home. I want you to see this slide right here, and this is so important. These are the, the handles of the 5G life. This is the starting point of the 5G life, and these are suggestions that we have. This is, let me say this again, this is not legalism. This is not a formula. This is not a ritual. This is from love and to love. This is a response to what Christ has done for us. This is a chance to say, I need vision for my life. Here's vision for your life. The starting points of the 5G life. God time daily, 20 minutes. Easily can blow up into way more. Gather time, an hour and a half a week. Group time. Seven hours monthly. Give time, six hours monthly. And you know, these can just blend in together. You can do your give time as you're attending church. What a bonus, huh? I mean, it's, just, it's not that hard. It's saying, But, but I, I believe as I follow Christ. This is, this is what I'm called to do in this. Go time, seven days annually. What do we mean by that? That you would think about intentionally. Go time is every single day we live. Okay, you get that? It's, 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 it's the mindset of being on mission. Every day we live, go time. But specifically, how can myself, my friends, my family, my small group, can I take seven days of this year and specifically dedicate seven days to specific gospel opportunity with the love of Christ to see the message of Christ go forward in some way? For some of us, that's a short-term mission trip. For some of us at Christmas time, it's taking a day to go down to Hamilton and to minister among those in need. For some of us working with orphans that have never heard about Christ and want to love them, though, I'm just saying there's so many different opportunities for go time. But the starting point is, can I take one week out of my year and somehow brilliant parents to sit down with your kids and say, how are we going to spend go time together this year? So it's not just about us all the time. Beautiful. It's brilliant. This is, what we're, this is what we're talking about. This is what we're looking to do and seeking to be. Again, it's not a formula of ones. It's not legalism, it's a response of love to love. the pursuit of the 5G life because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to go. Do you know what I'm so excited about right now, too, is we, we end this message of the series with the Lord's Supper. I just ask you to be still, okay? Sometimes when I say that you instantly start to pack up. Just, be, just, just just be still for a second right now, okay? And just think about this. Some of you are saying, well, what does the Lord's Supper have to do with go time? Everything. Everything. It was the early 1700s when John Leonard Dobert and David Nitchman first heard about the island. They were at church on an early Sunday morning where the pastor was speaking of a place in the West Indies where there had never been any gospel witness before pastor told him of a man who lived on the island who was an atheist slave owner with about 3,000 slaves, all whom would live and die there without a chance to hear the message of Jesus. Deeply disturbed by what they heard, these two men in their early 20s made the decision to go to these slaves and reach them with the message of Jesus Christ. What was their plan? Their plan was to sell themselves to this slave owner into slavery, that they could be among the other slaves and share the message of Christ to them. This wasn't a short-term missions trip. This was selling themselves into slavery with no idea if they would ever come back. Their families tried to talk them out of it. Their friends were not excited about this decision at all, and yet they prepared to go by the burden of seeing those hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the story goes, these two young men, they arrived at the pier to board their ship. Their families and their friends all there to say goodbye with Hesitations and concerns, and the men boarded the ship, and the ship set out, and as the gap between the shore and the ship widened, the two men on the ship linked arms, and one of them shouted out across the gap these final words. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Hear that. May the lamb that was slain, receive the reward of his suffering. This is the place we need to end right now. Do you hear what's being said? Do you understand that theology? Jesus Christ did not die, so we sit on our couch and soak in comfort and leisure. He didn't die for that. He died that his church would be saved and then take up the commission that he gave to them that they might go forward and declare in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit the message of life and love. That those would be saved from death and find life and the power of Satan to God. Jesus died that he would rightly earn and deserve the reward of his suffering as we hold the symbols of the Lord's Supper today. You and I must be reminded His suffering has given us life and every single person He has chosen are rightly His and He has called us in the process to go, therefore, and make disciples. That is an awesome and beautiful calling. And that is one that we have been entrusted with. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Let's pray together. And as we pray, I ask you to examine your life right now as we end this series. Ask yourself the following questions. In all honesty before the Lord right now, ask yourself this. Am I following Jesus Christ truly? Am I truly following Jesus Christ? Do I know that I am saved? Is there fruit in my life? For those of us here today that know, that Jesus Christ lives within us. Ask yourself, as I ask myself, Jesus, am I following you the way that you have called me to? Is my life been set apart for Jesus? Or is my life really set apart for me? Is there sacrifice in my life for Jesus Christ? Have I taken up my cross at all? Have I lost my life to find it? Have I denied myself in any level because I love Jesus Christ more than the world and more than myself? Could someone look at my life and genuinely accuse me of a passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ for his glory? Or would they say I fit in with all the rest? Oh, Lord, forgive your church. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us our sin. Forgive us for our complacency, our indifference. Forgive us, Lord, for how often we feel inconvenienced. Oh, we're so selfish. Forgive us. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, right now you are bringing conviction, but not leading to discouragement. I pray, loved ones, know the grace of Jesus Christ pours over you, pours over you. As you seek repentance and forgiveness, you will find it in him. You will find it in him. There's anyone here today that does not know Jesus Christ, and even today, right now, you are struck. Jesus Christ offers you life and love in a way that you never imagined. You turn, you run to him, you turn from sin, and you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you will be saved, you will receive eternal life, you will never die. This is the hope of the gospel. This is why he came. This is why he lived and died and rose from the dead. And this is why he's proclaiming his message even now at this time in this place. Because may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And I pray right now, Lord, in this very important Lord's Supper, that we would see the symbols of your body and blood and we'd see it as your suffering and we would hear the words from you, Jesus, go therefore and make disciples. Lord, let it not just be a couple of people, let it be your whole church. Let it be the most beautiful unity we have ever seen, resulting in the most powerful glory we could imagine. Oh Lord, you must work and we believe you can, and we believe you will. We believe the gates of hell will not prevail against you. We love you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus, and you are with us, Jesus. Take your church and use it in incredible ways. In Jesus' name, amen.